When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. And now here's Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from the other Jeff in this radio program. It's Jeff Ogan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing this weekend? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to be with you. Talking to the fine people here in the greater Tucson area. License plates? I don't know, Jeff. Are they beginning to turn the colorful colors just yet? Yeah, they are. And I can tell they're turning colors because they're always going slower than I am. And I end up (laughs) getting really close to the back of them so I can see their license plates. And yes, they are different colors. I've noticed that. Weather's never really a factor. So people tend to drive a little over over speed, you know, five to 10 over pretty consistently. But uh, when the license plate changes colors, it all of a sudden becomes five miles under and you got to either dodge them or just kind of go with the flow. So, you know, I got to spend a little extra time uh, planning your trips to work and whatnot, but it all works. We're glad to have our winter visitors. Of course, they contribute to our economy, and hopefully they're listening to our radio program. Well, they do, and I want to make mention of that. I have no gripes. Yeah, you sure. Know, I, just, I, I just work with it. I mean, so many of my clients do have the wherewithal to leave town when it's summertime and come back when it's winter, and a lot of them came from other states and uh, didn't right, get the right. type of services that we offer. So, I mean, I uh, love them. I mean, it makes my world go around. So yeah. I'm happy to see them back. I get a lot busier with uh, client reviews and things like that during this time of year because they're uh, back in town, want to check things out, make sure everything's good to go before the end of the year, tax planning issues, all that kind of thing. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm starting to, once I start seeing that, I have to take a little few extra minutes to get to work. I see the license plate colors change, the leaves change, and it's like, okay, <laughs> my life's going to start getting busier again between now and the end of the year. But uh, it's fun. I love uh, I love reconnecting and, and uh, helping people uh, make their money last and uh, hit their financial goals. Well, all are welcome here on Premier Retirement. We're glad to have everyone listening to us. As I said, a lot going on in the world and in the economy. We're going to try to break it down for you. We only have a limited amount of time in order to do that. But I want to start off with this election cycle. This is becoming, I think, one of the most important election cycles that we have had, at least as far as I'm concerned, in my lifetime. Things are not going well as far as the economy, the markets go, of course, uh, the country in tremendous debt. Personal debt is way up there, too. And I mean, RFK has thrown his hat into the ring as an independent. Historically, Jeff, can you break down for our listeners how we should treat this election cycle and how election cycles have affected the economy and the market in years past? You know, there's there's certain norms that happen if you want to just put everything on a graph and kind of equalize the charts out. And when it comes to trends and just basic direction of the market, if the market generally in the first presidential year of a new candidate is up, and it typically is, it doesn't mean it's going to go up 5, 10, or 50 points. It's just going to be, you know, a little more biased to the upside. So 
it could still be kind of a flat choppy market and end up a little bit up or it could be a real strong market like you know we still had in uh, 2021 was pretty darn good right it held true to form but it was also due to a little over stimulating from the economy you know from covid and some of the other things that you know trump might have been blamed for or, or contributed to but yeah i just think a guy that isn't a politician doesn't know how to pick his help very well and you know we got kind of into more debt trouble but that was because he was taking the word of people like fauci and other people that uh, really had other ideas in mind. But the, the bottom line is, you know, ever since Obama took office and there was that uh, crash in 08, it's been just what we call modern monetary theory, which is just print money and everything will go okay. Well, the, the printed money exacerbated the up cycle a little bit in 2021. However, the interesting thing is, is the cycle in year two of a presidential year is typically flat to down. We had a down year, a pretty significantly down year in the second market cycle. In the third year, if we look at, again, we look at long-term averages of presidential cycles, a third presidential year, we typically have a reasonably starts on the ups, usually as a from a correction type standpoint. So if we look at the presidential cycle, we haven't been too far off because we did have a nice bounce. We also find that around the middle of the year, the market goes flat and starts kind of preparing to see how the next election cycle is going to shape up. So in the election year, we kind of have a wait and see mode. So we're going to be, you know, coming into that pretty soon. In the first presidential year, the election's behind us. Now we can put our money back to work. Second presidential year, typically the policies and the changes and all the things that happen, we find out that we kind of got a little bit overly exuberant on that first presidential year because some of those policies either didn't work or they really haven't taken effect yet. So we have this flat or down market. So again, there is kind of a four-year presidential cycle that kind of seems to repeat However, you know, there's always those little burrs under the saddle that can kind of, you know, upset the horse, you know, and you, you never know if it's going to be exactly the same or a little bit different. But again, the trend is a typically repeated. Cycles tend to repeat. But again, you know, the government's been really good at kind of manipulating and maybe uh, overplaying some of this from the, from what the Fed's doing with interest rate hikes, what the uh, administrations before these recent interest rate hikes happened, you know, overstimulated the economy with uh, printed money over and over again. Most of that helicopter money, we call it, is uh, drying up. And so we don't have that going into uh, this next market cycle. So even though it's flat to down, we might see a significant flat to down for a while until, you know, maybe right before the election. And sometimes what happens right before the next election is we'll see a nice uptrend in the market, but that could be after between now and then the next year or so. Well, it's not quite a year, but let's say the next six or six to nine months could be two or three quarters. We could see, you know, the market get really beat up and have this recession that would complete the other cycles that we're kind of waiting to complete that happen. Credit cycles, market cycles, the overvaluation of the market has to be, you know, tamed one way or the other. You know, interest rates on CDs and bonds are gone up so much and the dividend rate, uh, average dividend yield or return on investments on the S&P are way below that now, which means stock markets overvalued because you're getting less bang for your buck at risk than you are at no risk. So why would people go into the market? Well, that'll create a lot of softness in the market. We'll probably see that play out in the next couple of quarters. And most of the experts agree that there's going to be a recession. Now, a lot of the cheerleaders that want you to keep buying stock at high levels so they can sell it to you right now at overvalued prices, like some of the broker dealers and some of the CIOs that are pontificating out there on TV are telling you buy, buy, buy because the market's still going to the moon. I think they're throwing that out in the face of people that are much smarter than them, much more learned than them, and much more experienced than them, and the fact that cycles continue to play out. So, yeah, we'll probably have that, you know, the softness going in that, that, that we kind of perceive or expect in the election cycle to be soft to down market over the next uh, six to nine months, probably happen again. It might be a real serious downtrend or it could be kind of flat. 
I tend to lean towards I'd rather be prepared for a more serious correction. I hope it does. I need to. I think we need a reset. We need to reset a more traditionally valued stock that creates more of an equilibrium and you know why we should buy a stock, why we shouldn't buy a stock, and the fundamentals can drive those purchases rather than just uh, you know the government printing money and having nowhere else to put it because interest rates are zero percent. Well, now interest rates aren't zero percent; they're higher. So now what are we going to do? We're going to buy bonds and we're not going to buy stocks. So I think it still creates a soft market right before this election. Typically the regime in power tries to do some things, maybe some stimulus, maybe they'll tell the Fed to lower interest rates to try to help help the election and make everybody think, oh yeah, it was bad, but look, now we fixed it. Uh, you got to vote for us, got to vote for us. So typically the market just right before the election, even though there's a lot of people that like to kind of wait and see, like right at that election time, there tends to be kind of a, you know, a pause or kind of a, maybe a little bit of excitement because they do a little bit of last minute manipulation sometimes, but not necessarily. Again, it's usually the election year and it's usually at the uh, end when the election's happening that people seem to either know who's going to win or the power play is whoever's in power will try to uh, stimulate the market to make it look like the economy's doing well and that you should keep them in office. So again, there's those things that happen. There is no guarantee that it's going to follow what it did in the past, but it's interesting how these market cycles, again, do tend to play out fairly consistently. And so again, we just don't know how much that trend is going to be affected. If the slight downtrend one year is a sharp downtrend another year, it's typically a, a flatter downtrend. But we're in that presidential year where we do see some, uh, in the third presidential year, which we're in, we do see some uptrend and they also get flattened at the end of the year. And that's what we're seeing right now. So we could see flatter. We could see down between now and the end of the year. Jeff, not only do we have an election cycle on the horizon here, but you also touched on recession. And what occurred to me is when I read about these things, I mean, I see 180 degree differing opposing views on what's going on. Some people say that the recession is here. Others say the recession is not here. It's going to be a hard landing. It's going to be a soft landing. And the same goes with just about anything. How do you decipher the news if you are an investor and you're a person listening to this show? How do you decipher these 180-degree diametrically opposed views when it comes to things like recession and what you should do with your money? Well, I like to see trend. I believe that the past history does help predict the future. It doesn't guarantee it, but it helps predict it. There are things that people can say stuff on TV or radio that you know sounds like they know what they're talking about, but if you put it next to historical trends or you put it next to a Schiller index, which if you backtest a Schiller index, it takes the current price earnings ratio of the S&P 500. It can project out the following 10 years average rate of return annually for the next 10 years, you know, within about a 2% deviation. I mean, that's pretty unbelievably accurate. So, you know, if somebody tells me that, uh, you know, we're paying twice as much for stock as we should, and the Schiller ratio says that we should have somewhere between negative two and 4% rate of return over the next 10 years, then I'm going to say, you know, we might actually be better off having a 5% CD or an annuity that pays 6% for 10 years. And, you know, we're guaranteed in that case to beat the historical trend in the market. But of course, you know, if you're a Wall Street firm, you can't make fees if people park money in uh, CDs or, uh, you know, bond ETFs and things like that. Now, you know, we can because we manage money. We can, you know, move it there and and backwards, uh, you know, as RIAs. But you know, the Wall Street firms themselves that uh, are all based on buying and selling stock, I mean, their job is to talk you into buying when they want to sell and talk you into selling when they want to buy. I mean, they're working opposite you. And so there's a lot of people, I think, coming from the Wall Street that, you know, are you have to consider the source of the information. You know, why are they telling us it's going to be a soft landing? Because they don't want us to start pulling our money out because they've got too big of positions and a lot of stocks that they can't unload too fast. 
And they're going to try to uh, tell you to keep buying them while they're unloading them. Uh, you know, last I checked and the last few times I've checked, it seems like the uh, uh, market makers and the brokers and even the insiders companies are selling more stock than they're buying. Remember, they used to be doing all these buybacks, which has really helped their bottom line because they uh, reduced the flow to their stock, meaning there's less stock in circulation. They would buy it back. So they'd actually, the buying pressure alone from their own cash, which they could borrow from the Fed at almost zero or from their bank at less than 1% or maybe even a couple of percent, they could buy their own stock drive their stock price up just by buying their own stock they could drive their stock price up you know 10 to 15 percent just from the company level and now they're not doing that anymore so you don't have the stock buybacks now what we have is just the frenzy of the what we call dumb money the people that aren't broker dealers that aren't institutional investments that, that aren't hedge fund managers that don't have all the information at their hands that you know base it on speculation that oh well the government's always bailed us out and printed money before i'm sure they're going to do it again let's just keep throwing money at the market or well hey they say it's a morgan stanley says it's a soft landing or Goldman Sachs says, you know, we're not going to have a recession or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not quoting anybody. I'm just saying the what ifs, you know, these big names come out with, you know, whatever kind of a theory that they throw out there. And all of a sudden we just, oh, well, they say we're not. So it's a good time to buy. Well, let's do some research. You know, every time the yield curve inverts, which it did about 15 or 16 months ago, within 24 months, there's a recession. I mean, every time it has not failed yet. Okay. So, well, maybe this time it will. Well, what about the economic indicators? We talked about that a few weeks ago here on the radio program, where the economic indicator report, which is a combination of, I think, at least 10, I think there's 10 uh, economic indicators, could be everything from housing starts, interest rates to uh, purchasing power, confidence, wage increases, employment, all that kind of stuff. Earnings, growth rates for companies. And we've got, you know, Apple ready to report their fourth quarter of reduced growth, of, of negative growth. They're actually losing market share. Who's talking about that? I mean, we're not, we're having companies that are like these big, you know, BMF companies, this, the Magnificent Seven, companies like that, that aren't actually increasing profits anymore. They're kind of stagnating because why? Well, because interest rates are high, because people can't afford iPhone 15, so they can't afford all the extra frivolous things that they could when there was free money. And now with interest rates and, you know, cost of groceries and everything going up, they can't afford stuff. So a lot of the discretionary buying is gone. A lot of these companies rely on discretionary buying. And you can't tell me iPhones are a necessity and you have to get an upgrade every time. It's a discretionary thing. I mean, you can buy an iPhone every four years and instead of every two years. And if everybody did that, Apple's profits get cut in half, right? Their revenues get cut in half. I mean, we're not seeing that, but uh, we are seeing dents in corporate profits, even the big companies that we never thought could, in their wildest dreams, lose money or stop growing. Well, the fact is, is some of the best of the best historically ever are doing that. And, uh, you know, we're talking three or four quarters in a row. So if you're talking the economic indicator report getting worse and worse, every time it's done so more than 12 months in a row, and we're now on the 16th month, possibly the 17th month here in October, it's never not been followed by a recession within about six months on average of the 12th month. So we're looking at maybe one or two more months. Historically, we're looking at that recession time. We also have to look at market cycles. The market cycle is where, you know, we have a bull market and then we have a, a sell-off. We have a correction, but then we have this uh, market gets so overvalued or economic situations get at a situation where we're looking at right now certain or many fundamental things that used to support the market aren't supporting the market anymore. Then we get this uh, sell-off and then pretty soon we get this consumer confidence capitulation where most people that are investing get scared out of the market and they just start selling like crazy. We haven't had that capitulation. We had, you know, some selling pressure last year. A lot of that was uh, institutions divesting. A lot of that was people that were a little bit nervous getting out of the market, especially retirees. Many of our clients did. We got out, you know, our first half of last year uh, because it just, you know, the fundamentals weren't supporting the market, even though the market was going up just because there's a trend. If there's not a reason for that trend, it's like defying gravity. You really can't defy gravity. You can fake it out for a little bit, but uh, gravity 
ends up winning. I mean, you can defy gravity by throwing a baseball straight up. And you think, oh my gosh, look, it's going up and gravity pushes down. Well, eventually that ball's going to fall, you know, unless you've got some sort of an alien spacecraft that doesn't even you know, use gravity. And <laughs> I don't think our stock market is graduated to that level of, you know, some, it, it's still an earthly bound to the earthly rules system. So, you know, we haven't changed anything. You can't defy gravity uh, ever. You can push through it for a while. And we've done a good job of pushing through it. We've even got a little bit of extra power behind it to push the market up higher by all this extra stimulus money, but we're taking that out. So we've got the market cycle that hasn't finished correcting. And every time the market corrects, it corrects based on a full cycle. There ends up being a capitulation or a crash. Now that hasn't happened yet. There's a lot of other factors that say, you know, that look like the timing could be in sync with the yield curve inversion and the uh, economic indicators going down, causing the recession and this all happening at the same time. And that stands to reason that it looks like all the forces are kind of coming together at the same time. And then this other thing, the credit cycle. What about the credit cycle? We've had decreasing interest rates for 40 years. The last time interest rates were increasing was during the stagflation era of, of Carter. Nobody made money in the stock market for 14 or 15 years. Everybody was paying 16, 18, 20% to buy a house, to borrow money. Most people couldn't afford it. So except rich people or people that you know had to really make different priorities on how they spent their money in order to uh, take on that kind of debt. And it slowed the economy big time. And the only way we got out of that was how? By lowering interest rates, by continuing to basically pump money into the economy at lower interest rate to create a situation where we could borrow at lower interest in order to stimulate the economy again. Now, can we do that? We've already got so much money out there the Fed really can't lower interest rates to stimulate the economy. It's They're already down at 5%. That's actually a reasonable range of where it's a fair price to pay for borrowed money. The problem is after the last 10 or 15 years when we've been near zero and you can borrow money and buy a house at 2 or 3%, the price of the house is because people all base everything on payment. The prices of houses have gotten extraordinarily high. The prices of things are still up there. Cars, everything else that people normally finance are overpriced now or based on what people can afford. And so there's going to be a lack of buying there. So I don't see us getting out of a recession, not because, you know, half the people say there is going to be one and half the people say they're not going to be one. So roll the dice and see. I like to look beyond that and say, okay, well, what factors would support this guy's claim that there's not going to be a recession? Well, the fact is that there's not going to be a recession. I don't see earnings going up for companies. I don't, I don't even know where they come up with that idea. Oh, well, there's so much money out there. Well, you know, I don't know. The graph I showed that the money out there is drying up, that there's not as much money out there as there was for the last four or five years. And that's true. When there's money out there, it doesn't really matter what we're paying for stocks. If there's extra money, they don't have any where to put it. And, you know, you're not really happy with a 2% CD, you're going to put it in the market. If you're not happy with a 4% CD, you're going to put it in the market. And there's still people that aren't really happy with a 5% CD because they're used to making 10 or 15 in the stock market and they think they can still do that. However, if you look at history, cycles, fundamentals, and reality, the reality is, over the last 100 plus years, there hasn't been a period of time where you can pay this much for stock and expect a higher than 5% rate of return. That hasn't happened yet. And that is over the next 10 years. You might for uh, year to year. So that comes back to, okay, maybe we will, maybe we won't have a recession. How about this? How about if we manage our money to where if there is a recession and that half of the pundits out there, or that half of the people that are betting are right and there is a recession, I don't want to lose money. So why don't we put it in a place where we don't lose money? But wait, do we have to be in short-term bonds making 3 or 4 or 5%? Or can we be in something that could actually do well if we're wrong? So if those people are right, and somehow we have this anomaly where every indicator that's cycled and finished its cycle in history doesn't happen, and I believe that they will happen, but what if it doesn't? I want to be in a position as an advisor to not be wrong. I don't have to always be right. I just want to never be wrong. Don't you want to be that as an investor too? So what about using index principal protected products, things that go up when the market goes up, so if we're wrong and the market goes up, you make money. 
But if we're wrong and the market goes down, we still don't lose. And some of our money we can put in something that pays us a guarantee of 5% while we wait out and see if these cycles correct or not. So why not you know, park it on the sidelines? By the way, some of these principal protected accounts aren't just indexed. Many of them are paying five and a half or more percent guaranteed first year. That's our current rate. If interest rates stay up, we expect that that to be the consistent return that you should be able to expect to get going in the future if the interest rates hold out. Well, what if the market goes up or what if the market crashes and we find a good bottom where it's actually at fair value? And we think, well, gee, there's a high probability the market's going to you know, rebound and it's going to recoup the losses over the next few years. Of course, over the next few years, the stock market's going to average zero. But if you don't lose money in the bath it's going to take in a, in a bad recession and a sell-off where there's that capitulation in the market cycle I just talked about and it's down, well, then that index product doesn't lose money during the down phase and it gains money during the up phase. So instead of just getting back to even, you start from a new spot. So, you know, there's ways to handle all these market cycles and not really worry about it. So you say, oh, how do we guess the market cycle? Well, you can, we can see what history does, but how do we play it? Because, you know, if the trend is flat to down and we think, well, we can ride out a flat market and we think most of the time it's flat, but it could be down. So, well, we'll just take our chances and ride it down or, well, the market's generally up, but, uh, what if it's kind of flat and only up 1% or 2% when we could have made 5% in a CD or something? Why not play the best of both worlds? Have your cake and eat it too. Play both sides of the fence, but the one side of the fence you can't lose and the other side of the fence you make money. We're talking with Jeff Ogan here of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Our program, of course, is called Premier Retirement. Jeff, in the few minutes that we have left here, we do a case of the week every week. How do your planning strategies apply to the case of the week this week? Well, you know, rather than go through a big long case, I mean, in, in, the, in, in light of what I just said, you know, people right now are getting nervous. You know, they made a little bit of money. They, uh, the market kind of rebounded. They're kind of on a roll. They kind of want to be in it. You get greedy and you want to stay in the market. And some people have come to me and said, gosh, Jeff, you know, I just, I, I, I still want to kind of get back to where I was. And gosh, these last few weeks were kind of choppy and I'm down about 5%. Does your plan help me get back to even? Uh, because uh, if I leave it over at uh, XYZ company, you know, if the market rebounds, I'll get back to even. Well, wait a minute. Let's just, uh, you consider this, right? I don't really want to get out lower than when I first started talking to you. Like somebody started talking to me a few weeks ago and their portfolio was 1.1 million and now it's 1 million. So they've lost some money and they're all scared because they wanted 1.1 million. Well, the indexes that we use in principal protected products have also gone down. So we have a, a lower starting point. So if you're getting out low, you're going in low. If you're getting out high, you would have gone in high. So it's all relative. I mean, yeah, I would I would have rather got you out at 1.1 and principal protected at 1.1 million. But if you have a million, I'd still rather principal protect that because here's what could happen. What if, uh, you know, half these people that say we're going to have a hard landing recession are right. And, you know, this 10% you lost in the last month or so. Uh, you're upset about, but what if it turns into 30 or 40% and now you have a seven or eight or 10 year period, you have to wait to get your money back and you wanted to retire and spend some of that money in the meantime. That's, that's retirement death wish. So my opinion is it's even more critical if the market's weak or choppy that you make the move and quit worrying about, oh my gosh, what I didn't get off the table. Because when you move into something that's principal protected, your downside is over. You don't have any more downside. If you leave it in the market waiting to get back to even, you have all the downside. Why would you do that if you're really looking for safety, you're looking for protection, you're looking for you know, predictable income streams in the future? So if you're looking for income streams, you're looking for protection, you're looking to be right in any given market, or at least not wrong, in any given market condition that comes around, then don't wait, move. I mean, even if the market's going down, I mean, you're going to take losses, but you're going to get into the new stuff lower. It's going to be protected from going any lower than it is right now. And when the market bounces, if it does, it's going to go up. So you will recoup those losses, just maybe 
like the tortoise in the race instead of the hare in the race bouncing all over the place. So again, that's kind of the, that would be the thing that's kind of the theme of the cases of the week lately is, oh, but wait, Jeff, I was up a little higher a few weeks ago and I don't want to lose money. So I want to wait. Why would you want to wait? So you could lose more money or do you want to just stop the bleeding and make money from here on out? I think that makes more sense. At least it does to me. And that's how a plan works best. Once again, if our listeners have questions to ask Jeff about their particular situation, you can do that by calling 520-780-9059 and requesting your premier retirement roadmap. Friendly conversation with Jeff to cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this plan, 520-780-9059. You can also request your plan online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, time for a break. When we come back, we've got listener questions and more when our show continues here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost premier retirement roadmap, call 580-780-9059 or request it online at premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan and Jeff Shade. Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management in Tucson and also up in Mesa where Jordan is manning the fort. We appreciate you being with us here each and every week here on 790 KNST for your fiscal fitness and your financial education. Once again, if you've got questions about our program, you want to get in and talk to Jeff about your Premier Retirement Roadmap. Once again, no cost and no obligation for that. The number to call 520-780-9059. It's 520-780-9059. You can call right now if you want leave your information Shelly will give you a call back and set up an appointment that's convenient for you and Jeff you could also request your plan online at premret.com p-r-e-m-r-e-t.com Jeff every week on the program our regular listeners know that we answer listener questions so we'll kick it off this week with Jeb who's listening to us in Tucson and Jeb says I have preferred stocks in my after-tax account. In general, what is the most likely objective of preferred stocks versus common stocks in a portfolio? What problem are they solving for? Well, generally preferred stocks are, it's almost like a bond. Typically what they do is you're buying equity in the company, but it's preferred in the fact that they're going to pay you a dividend or profit share first. I just give you an example. You know, I have a client that has some preferred stock from a company he worked for and had about half a million dollars roughly in preferred stocks, was making 45000 a year and, you know, expected to just assume that that was always going to take place. With the recent, you know, just kind of fluctuation in the stock market, he's now making less than half of that. So preferred stocks, although they do give more or less a guaranteed dividend type payout or a certain rate of return that you can expect, they don't change value that much, except the fact that if he were to sell this $500,000 in preferred stock, because the companies can always change the dividend payouts, they're not always guaranteed forever. You know, he would have to sell them probably at a discount right now. So Whereas a common stock is more built on the equity or the book value or the actual market cap of the company. In other words, if the company is you know, doing billion dollars in sales or let's say net revenues, and so the company's worth $10 billion, you have your portion in a common stock of that portion of stock. The preferred stock you know, shows up more like a liability or a, an equity position 
that doesn't participate necessarily in the growth of the company. Whereas, you know, on a preferred stock, I haven't seen preferred stocks that double or triple in a year. Like NVIDIA preferred stock probably wouldn't double or triple in a year, but uh, you can get their common stock that could do that. So if you're looking for speculative growth and, you know, what if returns, but over the long haul, probably to make more because you have a long-term outlook, I think the, the common stocks work. Preferred stocks, you know, some companies are, have been pretty tried and true to, you know, hold hold to their dividend and uh, the return expectation on those dividend stocks. Of course, when they pay you, it is taxable. So I would probably like those more in a non-taxable account. And I'd prefer to buy speculative stocks that don't pay a dividend in my after-tax account so that I can cash them in when I feel like paying a tax and I don't have to pay tax on the growth while they're growing. So you can also do that with ETFs, exchange-traded funds, whereas you can buy a sector in the stock market uh, and get the growth without having to pay taxes until you actually sell that particular exchange-traded fund. They trade and are taxed more like an individual stock. So I don't know. I'm not really a preferred stock guy, to be honest with you. I've, I've never really seen the benefit of it. I think if you want something that's a guaranteed, I would buy a fixed annuity that's going to guarantee you 5.5% for seven years or something like that, where you know that it can't be changed and it can't fluctuate in value. You know you're going to get your money back plus your interest. Or, you know, in some cases, uh, you've got these leveraged indexed annuities that if you back test them, you know, make more than 10%, you know, historically. And so why not get stock market rated returns with no risk? And those in an after-tax account would be tax deferred. Again, you'd only pay tax when you pull the money out. But again, if you're into preferred stocks, you're probably dealing with a broker that only does stocks. Stocks and, you know, if you're scared of the market, they might offer you preferred stocks as a safer way to play the market. But are they safer? I don't know. The company doesn't necessarily have to, you know, if the company starts going under, those preferred stocks are going to lose value too, especially if they have the, the risk of changing the, the payouts and so forth. So again, they're preferred. If there was ever a company liquidation, they would be paid out before stockholders would get their money on common stock. But I'm kind of indifferent on them. If you like them, if they're, you know, a piece of your portfolio, no problem. I wouldn't go all in, however, on anything common stocks or preferred stocks. But that's that's how they work, and that's the difference. Jeff, we appreciate you listening to us, and I hope that answers your question. We, of course, will be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. So be looking for that. Our next question, Jeff, is Karen in Vail. And Karen writes, I'm 62 and want to retire in five years. I'll have a Social Security benefit of about $3,000 a month. I also have about $500,000 in my 401k invested in a variety of funds. I'm interested in securing some of my retirement income with an annuity. My insurance agent wants to sell me one, but I'm wondering how to determine what type of annuity is right for me. Well, first, I would want to ask what type of insurance agent you have. It's like your state farm guy. They're really good at home, auto, and fire insurance, right? They're not, they're horrible at any kind of an annuity that would compete with the kind of stuff that's available in the independent world. If your agent works for a particular company, generally speaking, the company pays management, they pay 401k, they pay benefits. They do a lot of stuff to keep that agent, what we call captive. And the payout to the client on those captive type agency products in general, I haven't seen an exception to the rule, but there might be one in general. And in my history, always pay less than one you could find if you went and shopped around with a broker. That's why I stopped being captive. My first two companies I worked with, uh, one was a stockbroker, uh, a brokerage house, and they were captive. I had to only sell what they told me to sell and buy what they told me to buy. And I could only do whatever they told me. I was their puppet. Then I went in the insurance business thinking I could have a little bit more uh, flexibility and sell safe products because I was scared of the risk uh, after you know going through the 87 crash and a few years after that, trying to build a business in the stock market was difficult. So I went in the insurance business for a while. And then I found out that, man, as a captive agent, they told me what I could and couldn't do. And every time I brought a product up to some that was actually shopping around, they always find something that killed the ones I was trying to sell them. And it was like, why? It's because I had three or four levels of management. You know, the annuity was really just an income play to be like a pension. All I had to do was compete with a lousy pension or, you know, even a good pension. And it was all about income. Well, 
annuities have done a lot of things since the old days, and a lot of these captive companies haven't really changed their recipe for what an annuity is and what an annuity does. There are annuities that you can park money in and defer them until you want to use them later and let them continue to grow at a guaranteed rate of return if you use it for future income, or guaranteed at least net loss of zero and you know, double digit returns in good years and guaranteed income, but not an annuitized income where you basically cash out the savings account. So if you had $500,000 and let's just say, uh, I'm not saying you should put it all in, but let's just say you put $500,000 in an annuity and deferred it for five years and they guaranteed you a 60% growth rate on that account, no matter what, you'd be at $800,000 in account value, regardless of how the market performed. Now, at that point, you could start taking what we call an income, not an annuitization, not where you just say, okay, well, I'll take my 800000 and I'll, you know, take it over the next 20 years and, you know, just get, you know, $60,000 a year until it runs out. And if I die early, well, you know, my 800000 is gone. The type of annuities that make more sense uh, that you can get more on the, through the independent channels because annuity companies are willing. There are so many of us fiduciaries out here that are independent. The group I belong to is about 500 agencies nationwide. It's just a, a, all independents. None of us actually work for each other, but we combine our assets in order to have companies develop proprietary products for just us and things like that. But there's companies that are out there when we have over $100 billion in annuity assets, shoot, they'll dangle a carrot and get a few of those billions and they'll make a good product for us where you don't actually have to annuitize or give up control of that asset. You get all the upside, none of the downside. You get a guaranteed income. And what they'll do is they'll take the income out of that account. Some companies, one company that I really like, not going to say names because it'll sound like a recommendation, but there is a company that projects their income based on that company making at least 8% on your money till you're 100 years old. And they'll pay principal plus interest down until you're 100. Now, if you backtest it, it actually performs better than that. But they're willing to go out on a limb and pay you a huge amount of income. And anytime you die, you get the balance of the, in- uh, of the account out. If you just want to bail and say, I don't need income anymore. I don't like spending this much money. I have tons of social security and I have no bills and I really don't like traveling anymore because I'm in my 70s now. I don't want this income anymore. I just want to take my money and run or pay off some bills or give it to my kids for a college fund or whatever. You can cash it out or you can spend it or you can take guaranteed income. But either way, the way they're set up is there's just no way unless the world blows up and they go out of business that you don't get all your money back plus gains. So I would shop that around. Make sure you go to an independent. I mean, we are. I mean, we're totally unbiased brokers. I mean, I'll take your money anywhere. It makes you the best bang for the buck because if you're a happy client till you die, you're going to send me all kinds of referrals and we're going to be able to help even more people. So I am not captive to any company. I'm only captive to the benefit of my client. And that's the type of agent, in my opinion, that you should look to first before you even start saying what annuity is best for me. Karen, we appreciate you sending in that question and Jeff's number, by the way, 520-780-9059. If you want to give him a call, 520-780-9059. And Karen, will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Next question, Jeff, is Janet listening to us in Rancho Vistoso. And Janet says, I'm 39 and beginning to invest in stocks on my own. I've heard about blue chip stocks. My dad thinks they should form the foundation of my stock portfolio. What is your opinion and what sector of stocks do you think should be in the base? Well, you're 39 and beginning to invest in stocks on your own. Here's the deal. It's really hard to be a stock picker long term because what I found in my 30 plus years of experience is what used to be kind of the norm in your dad's time frame. I don't have any kids quite 39, so your dad's probably a little older than me, so he's probably a little more old school than I am. Back in the day, you buy a blue chip stock like IBM and it just goes up because that company's continuing to grow. The blue chips of today, you know, might have been recently you know, considered, maybe even currently considered uh, Amazon, which I think is already grown about as big as it can 
can get uh, as far as the the stock valuation for a while. IBM has been flat forever. I mean, shoot, you haven't made any money on that. Even if you consider dividends, it's underperformed CD rates over the last 15 years. And although it's a great company and still has technologies and cool things that they're bringing to market, a lot of people consider that a blue chip uh, stock, but it's not making any money. It doesn't have any, in my opinion, any uh, prospects of growth. I don't think Amazon does either. I think it's already overvalued. Apple maybe is getting kind of to the top end of its growth phase and going to be kind of a, a cash cow from here on out. Uh, Microsoft, I think, still has some room to grow. That's a that's a blue chip. But do you want to just be a stock picker and have to bet on guessing? What I would do is if you're young, 39 is pretty young. You've got probably at least 20 years before retiring. The more aggressive and the best upside in the market is really the tech sector or more of the technical and growth stocks, which are found in the NASDAQ. There's a, a symbol called QQQ that's an ETF of basically NASDAQ stuff. I think that's going to be probably your most aggressive bet long term. If you just dollar cost average in, you're going to have all the blue chips in that index. And you're going to have, uh, and the thing is, is the bigger the stock or the more blue chip it is, the bigger weight they give to that stock in that index. So you're going to basically be leaning really heavily towards those blue chips that are continually growing and getting bigger. And you're going to have enough exposure to the small up and comers that typically will double and triple while the other ones just kind of hang out and grow steadily at, you know, maybe the five to 10 or 15% range over the next 20 years. And maybe, you know, it's kind of whole stagnant over the next 10. There's going to be some up and comers that are going to make that index uh, probably perform a little bit better. So I really have learned to be not so much an individual stock guy other than maybe a few favorites. You spend maybe 10 or 20% of your portfolio where you pick a few stocks that you just want to buy and hold forever. You know, people that did that with NVIDIA 10 years ago are really loving life. People that did that with Apple 20 years ago are loving life. You know, Amazon, Microsoft, anything about 10 years ago has done really well on those those big stocks. But, you know, are they still the play in the future for the next 10? You know, maybe not. Maybe there's the next Amazon to look at. You know, maybe this AI trend is going to bring some new things to the forefront where you can look at some of these good, solid companies and not do some speculation, but do some smart investing while you let your blue chips work within the uh, area of, uh, of indexing. So the QQQ is a good index. I mean, you could do the Dow. It's only 30 stocks and they consider all those blue chip. Cool thing about the Dow index or even the S&P is if a stock kind of underperforms or kind of fails the ideal scenario, they actually kick it out of the index and put a new index in. So I'm more of an index guy than a stock picker. On my own, I do dabble in some stocks just because I like, I guess, the energy that I get from gambling and, you know, having a chance to win and hit a home run. I still like to swing for the fence sometimes, but I also know that I also like to know that everything's pretty cool and secure on the money that I need. I don't think you're in a position where you need to start investing in stuff like indexed annuities and things like that. However, outside of blue chip stock, something that would create a, and the thing is with blue chip stocks, you really can't guarantee the future. You can just guess that they're going to have maybe a little bit better long-term outcome than some of the ones that are more speculative. But even blue chip stocks come and go nowadays because of the, just the speed of our economy and the changing of sectors and information age has just changed things a little bit differently than what was maybe more true to form back in the day of uh, your dad and even me maybe a few years later. So again, I think uh, indexes are a great way to dollar cost average into the market. Uh, I particularly like, you know, S&P and the Qs. That's one way to play it. Uh, just get a, a nice, uh, and I would go the ETF route, especially if you're using non-IRA money, because um, you only pay taxes on a capital gains rate later when you sell those assets. And I wouldn't put all your uh, money in just pre-tax stuff, because if you ever needed it to buy a house or send a kid to college or do some things like that, then uh, it's penalized if you take it out prior to age 55 or 59 and a half, depending on whether you're working or not. Anyway, there's a lot of things that uh, need to go into this discussion. But also one thing I would say, if you're 39 and healthy, look at a LERP, life insurance retirement plans that 
that use indexing, protect you for the death benefit. If you if, if you end up uh, not living your life expectancy and end up leaving your family short with income, it'll cover that. The other thing is, is it will create a, a predictable lifetime income in retirement and it's tax-free. So if you want some tax-free pension money, consider diversifying between blue chip stocks and something that would give you a little bit more access to your cash, a lot more flexibility, and have it be a tax plan. Because I'm guessing if you're 39 and already starting to invest and being smart about it, you're going to have a sizable portfolio when you retire, and you're going to have a maybe even a sizable tax problem. So if that's the track you're on, then uh, do some tax planning now. Don't wait till you're 60 and then have to pay taxes on more money at a higher tax bracket than you could do right now if you were to start doing some tax planning early on. Janet, thank you so much for listening to us in Rancho Vistoso. Of course, your book, Retirement the Road Ahead, is on its way to you. If you've got a question you'd like us to answer on the air, you can get it to us by going to our website, which is premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Email your question to us from there. If we use it on the air, of course, we will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. You're listening to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan. Once again, want to remind you, if you'd like to get in and sit down with Jeff, ask your questions about your retirement journey, request your complimentary Premier Retirement Roadmap by calling 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. It's just a friendly conversation between you and Jeff so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and any blind spots that may hinder you from reaching your goal. If you're not on the right course, when would you like to know that? When it's too late to do anything about it or right now when you can? Well, you probably want to do it right now. So call 520-780-9059. Once again, no cost for this. Absolutely not going to cost you a dime. There is no obligation whatsoever. Again, 520-780-9059. You can request it online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Well, Jeff, the calendar tells me it is early October. Open enrollment period for Medicare is October the 15th until December the 7th. So people have the opportunity to make some changes. What would you say your first piece of advice is for people who are in this open enrollment period right now and may want to explore some options? Well, the open enrollment period does open up certain op- uh, options. However, I think some people think that even if you have pre-existing conditions, you can go and start making changes and all that kind of thing. Not necessarily. You know, one of the open enrollment things is Medicare Advantage plans will take you on. Even if, if you have original Medicare, you can unenroll and go through a Medicare Advantage plan. You could also change from one Medicare Advantage plan to another during open enrollment. So it really is more focused on the Advantage plans. You can move from a Medicare Advantage plan back to original Medicare parts A and B. And what that really means is Advantage is actually private insurance. It is not a government program and it is not like, oh, get what you're entitled to. It's no. Change your business from the government, which guarantees you certain medical coverage and care, to a private insurance company that's going to make you jump through hoops, use a network, and maybe even restrict some of the care that you get and make it sound like it's all good because it's going to put $170 back in your bank account every month. If you can deal with that for that extra money, if it makes a big difference, then go for it. But you know, I'm not really a, a Medicare open enrollment guy because I'm not really into the Advantage programs. Most of our clients don't have them. If you have the wherewithal to pay your bills, it's better, in my opinion, to have Medicare because they already have a pretty set standard of what they pay, what they won't pay, and every company knows it. And you don't have to pick and choose from their list of possibly restricted uh, network. You can go to anybody you want to. You can even go to somebody out of Medicare network. And if they overcharge you, they can only overcharge you so much. And then if you get a supplement plan, that gives you the most flexibility, although it is at a cost. 
you have to still pay your Medicare premiums, plus you have to pay for the, the coverage on the uh, Medicare supplement, but it'll pay for you to go anywhere you want to. Your deductibles will be gone. You'll actually pay less deductibles out of pocket than you will on Advantage. Some people think, oh, you don't have to pay anything on Advantage. No, you don't pay for your premiums, but when you go to the doctor and have treatments and go to the hospital, there are deductibles that could add up to thousands of dollars. So when you use it, you might find out that it's not really as cool of a plan as you thought, especially if you have to wait you know, six months to get approval for some care that you needed immediately, and you might be getting sicker while they're waiting to pre-approve everything and get you to a doctor that's in their network or their doctor change, your doctor changes from the network that used to be on the network and Advantage sounded great. But if you're at Advantage and you have pre-existing conditions and you want to get off of it, go back on Medicare, you can during open enrollment, but you are not guaranteed to get a supplement. So mm-hmm. if you uh, want a supplement, you have to be healthy. And some people think, oh, I can go back and forth anytime I want. Nah, you really can't. So if you are in great health, yeah, maybe take your chances. But if you're not in good health and uh, you are just now getting onto Medicare, you are entitled to get without pre-existing condition scrutiny. Your open enrollment is to get a supplement. But uh, if you've already been on Medicare, had a supplement or had an advantage, then any new company or new supplement would be able to scrutinize your health situation and deny coverage. So you may be limited, you know, once you get to that sick phase. Most people are going into retirement at age 65, you know, fairly healthy, but by 75, maybe they're not. And maybe your options are a little bit more uh, limited. So, you know, Jordan does the Medicare in our office. He's more of an expert than I am. I'm just uh, passing on some information that uh, he tells me. But generally speaking, the Medicare open enrollment period is if you're trying to jump in on a, a advantage plan, which honestly, you know, when they get Joe Namath, Joe Montana and JJ uh, Walker, you know, advertising to get what's yours, I guarantee if you ask them, do you have advantage? I guarantee they don't. None of them do. You know, all those people that are advertised that you should get advantage, get what's yours. They think that everybody besides them, because they're not, they're elite and you're not, right. that somehow you need all this extra help and 170 bucks is going to ruin your retirement. Well, for our clients, $170 a month to have access to whatever medical care you want to, have access to care overseas if you want to through a, a supplement, to have no waiting periods, go to any doctor you want to. Although Medicare used to actually cover Mayo Clinic, I think they're not doing that anymore. So I shouldn't say any doctor, but pretty much any doctor. Mayo Clinic got to be a little bit overmarketed and overpriced. So uh, I think Medicare was a little tired of spending our tax money on that, which I'm actually glad. If you want to spend the extra and go to Mayo, you can, but they have to take the Medicare assignment and you have to come up with the rest. But um, bottom line is, there are a couple of different things. Don't wait till the deadline of December 7th, which is when the open enrollment period ends to make your decisions. If you're thinking about looking at the options, October 15th, which happens to be my son, the Medicare expert's birthday, hey. uh, through December 7th. But, you know, jump on that, set an appointment. If you want to call the office, we can get you hooked up and uh, Jordan will walk you through all the options and tell you why you should or shouldn't do certain things. And that's based on our own history, our own feedback. And by the way, Medicare is not a profit center for our company. It is mm-hmm. a, an no. added service. We do right. not try to enroll everybody in Medicare to make a living or have a residual income. We fill the gaps of people that aren't getting served out there with their Medicare guy or through whoever they're working with. Or if we get a new client and they've already got a plan, we try to upgrade if we can. But uh, there's not enough money in it to really spend a lot of time and effort marketing it because we're not full-time Medicare people. And that's what full-time Medicare people, that's all they do. And if that's all they do their whole life, then they can build a nice income. It's really just something that we know is being pushed because most people that are only Medicare people have to sell you on whatever they make the most money on. And guess what? Medicare Advantage, hands down, makes a lot more money, and the residuals continue at basically 
you know, year one rates, you know, as long as you have it. So it's a moneymaker. It's an agent-friendly product. It is not always a client-friendly product, even though some people who have had it haven't had any problems and think they love it because they're saving all this money. And then they have a problem and then they want to move back and they can't. So be careful about the advantage. Learn the options first. Don't just be suckered into this open enrollment period. Well, Jeff, if I'm hearing you correctly, I think the takeaway from my program today is that Medicare Advantage plans are private insurance companies and they may not be the best for you, but it all depends upon your individual situation. You talked about going from one plan to the other. You can go from regular Medicare to an Advantage plan quite easily, but if you are on an Advantage plan and you want to go back to regular Medicare, it is very possibly that you will need to be underwritten. So make those decisions carefully. And once again, Jordan handles that here at Premier Retirement. If you'd like to talk to Jordan or you'd like to talk to Jeff about your individual situation, once again, that number to call 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. You could also request your Premier Retirement Roadmap online, which would include a Medicare conversation at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. But again, most of all, I want to thank everybody here listening to us in the greater Tucson area. For Jeff Fogan, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered. 